0: To somebody, to love, trust, or even hope in not just somebody but something. Whenever we do that, we risk. It's a risk, by the way, to open yourself up to something, and love something, and trust something, and, and, and hope in something. It, there's a risk to it. There's a risk to it, and and sometimes. When we've done that, that very thing that we've trusted in or loved gets taken away from us. And then, and I think if we're all being honest, we've all uh, experienced that hurt in some way throughout our life. Maybe experience it right now. If we have, we know that it, it can very easily turn into bitterness. Anger Sadness hurt and we, we just go hide or we, we just are mad at everybody in the world. See, we harden our hearts, we feel entitled, and then we feel betrayed. See, relationships relationships are hard every relationship you have the other person is going to hurt you so it, 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 you're going to hurt somebody somebody's going to hurt you that's just what happens in relationships it's 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 they say you don't truly love somebody until you argue with them you really don't because if if you don't actually disagree ever and and have communication and be able to work through them problems how can you truly love that person? If you just agree about everything all the time, somebody's lying because there's no two people on the planet that agrees all the time every day of the week. There's just no people that are made up like that. You're never going to be in a relationship where you are going to 100% agree with that person all the time. It just doesn't happen. So you are going to get hurt, betrayed. and But... When we get in them problems, we tend to do what? We exaggerate our problems. We all do it. We all exaggerate the problems that we have. Some more than others. But we all have a tendency to exaggerate the problem. We, we get bombarded by something and then we think about all the, the crazy worst scenarios that can happen. And, and we don't think we're ever going to get out of it. See, we do this because we even conjure up the worst case scenarios, don't we? We even conjure up the contradictory statements. Like, God doesn't exist, but I hate him and I'm mad at him. But you can't do both, can you? you can, he either exists and he's in control of everything. Oh, he doesn't exist, and you're in control of your life. We can't choose both. We exaggerate our problems and don't see God in them. See, our pain is real. Our pain is significant, but it can have a blinding effect on us. Where, where all we see is darkness, And all we see is pain. We don't see past the darkness and the pain because we're so concentrated in the situation we're in. We're not looking how God is going to use this situation. We see no hope, no purpose in our pain. See, this place of darkness and bitterness is where we left Naomi in chapter 1. She had endured incredibly, incredible loss. Her husband had died, and she had lost her only two sons. She was left all alone with two daughter, daughters in laws one who chose to go back to her own people, and Ruth, who took a radical choice to return home with Naomi. And on the outside, it wasn't a smart choice. What what Ruth did to go home was, it's not a smart choice. See, Naomi is a destitute widow with no security or future, no income. And in that sense, she has no hope. See, she returns to her hometown in Bethlehem with not a whole lot of anything and totally bitter. When we look back at chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, we see this. And the woman said, is this Naomi? They recognize her. She said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Maria. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? Naomi. When the Lord has testified against me. And the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. See, Naomi means the pleasant one. She wasn't pleasant anymore. So now she wants to be called Mara, which means bitter. Because she is so bitter with God. She, she understands something that, that most of us sometimes don't understand. She believed God was in control of her situation. But he was doing it for what? To punish her for something she did. In this statement, she makes four accusations against God. That the Lord has dealt bitterly towards her. That the Lord had taken from her. and And... By the way, the Lord can't take from you. You can't take what already belongs to you. The Lord has testified against her and found her guilty in her eyes that the Lord had brought calamity upon her. You see, she makes these four accusations against God out of her bitterness. Naomi rightly sees God as sovereign over these situations, but she is unable to see his goodness and is unable to see his grace. She sees no hope, no future, no goodness in his providence. She only sees what God has taken from her, not what God has given her. She was full and she has come back empty and bitter So this is where we left Naomi at last, the last time we spoke about her. But Ruth, remember, she was gleaning in the fields of Boaz, who, because of his godly character, blessed Ruth. So let's open Ruth up to chapter 2, verse 17, and see what happens next. So she gleaned in the field until evening, then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. See, Ruth is coming home. An ephah is about thirty to fifty pounds, somewhere in that weight, 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 weight range. You've got to really think about this because Ruth is carrying this. So now Naomi and Ruth have plenty to eat and plenty to talk about. She's not only got the thirty-pound bag of 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 grain. When was the last time you carried a thirty pound bag of anything anywhere <laughs> yeah, but it's from the car to the car to the car to not 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 from the grocery store home she went to the grocery store of her time, collected it, worked, beat it out, bagged it up, carried that. And her sack lunch from leftovers from Boaz feeding her, and she's going home. All of a sudden, faced with the mound of food that Rufus brought home, the practical evidence of God's goodness to her. See, you see, because Rufus sought her refuge under the wings of of God, like. I missed, I missed, I wanted to read this, the second part. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. Boaz is a smart man. Because I think Boaz is, is kind of likes Ruth. Obviously, just I'm reading into the story and I know what happens at the end of the story. It's also helpful when you know what happens at the end of the story. But when you read into it, what what a, what a, what a great attitude he, uh, Boaz has. Look, I, I like this woman. I don't know what's going to happen. But I'm going to also send food home and make sure she has plenty. And that's what he does. Uh, Psalms 57.1 says... Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. See, notice the four here. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. See, why should God show such mercy to Ruth? Because Ruth sought refuge under God's wings. She chose to seek refuge. That's the four in my soul. The four, I do summit. I seek refuge under God. And God protected her and supplied for her because she knew where to look. She, is, she has esteemed God's protection superior to all of us. She has set her heart on God for her hope and her joy. Notice I didn't say happiness. I said joy because they're two different things. And she has chosen to do this not when God was blessing her. See, this, this is this is typically what we do. We wait till God blesses us and then we like praise him. And we thank him for being a part of our lives. But we don't look for him when we're struggling and we actually need him. See, she trusted him when she had no hope. She didn't know what it was going to bring. And and she was doing something that was dangerous. We'll find out how dangerous at the end of this chapter. She had chosen to do this. It's God's honor, not the value of our work. Which is at stake. See that's what she's looking at. She's looking at God's honour. You see we trust God. Now it's God's honour. That's at stake. He's got to protect us. We've chose to be under his wings. And he will be merciful to you. If you plead God's value. As the source of your hope. Instead of pleading your values. As the reason for God's blessings. See it's not about you. It's about God. Until we really realize that it's not about us. We'll never really understand it. It's not about if I'm happy. It's not about if I'm well. By the way I will say I don't even think. Sometimes God cares if I'm well. Or if he gives it to me. He wants me to serve him. He wants me, because here's the deal. I think sometimes he doesn't care because here's the, here's the deal. I, this is, this is gonna, this is just gonna be dust one day. He cares about what's inside that's eternal, not the exterior. He wants to use that exterior. So, he might give somebody cancer. He might give me cancer. And he might not cure me. But he wants me to use it. By, by being upright. And being the way I'm supposed to be as a Christian. And know that no matter whether I'm healed this side of the heaven. Or that side. I'm going to be healed. And be a witness for Christ. Of how somebody who is suffering. Can go through something. And have hope. See, that's why He uses things in our life. He uses pain in our lives to grow us. And to use it to minister to other people. And that's what He's doing here. He's doing this with Ruth and Naomi. He's used their pain. They've hit rock bottom. They have nothing. And He's going to use it not to glorify them. When we get to the end of the book, it's to glorify him you see and then his un, he's got an unwavering commitment to his glory engages all of his heart for your protection and for your joy again joy not happiness He's not worried about your happiness. God's never been worried about whether you're happy or not. He wants you to be full of joy. But he wants you to be full of joy whether you're going through something bad or everything's going well. See, Boaz prayed that God would reward Ruth for all that she had done for her mother-in-law. A full reward, he said, be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, whose wings you have come to take refuge. See, she did what Psalm said. For in Where do you think David might have heard that before? That's a psalm. That wasn't written. By the way, Rufus' great-great-great-grandma. You see, where do you think he got some of the knowledge that he has? Passed down to him from his family. See, now you see that this reward is not a kind of justification by works. Or salvation by merit. No, we see here that God works to bless those who put their hope in Him, not their work for Him. See, we don't do stuff for God to get stuff. That's stupid. That means you have to earn your salvation, you have to earn your forgiveness. You're forgiven. If you've put your trust in Christ you are forgiven. You can't can't make yourself more forgiven. I can tell you that. There is no such thing as more forgiven. You're either forgiven or you're not forgiven. There is no fine line especially with God. When He says you're forgiven He forgets your transactions against Him. That's what forgiveness means. That you don't He doesn't hold any account of your misguidings uh, towards Him. You see, here that God works to bless those who put their hope in Him and not their work for Him. Psalms 147.10 and 11 says, His delight is not in the strength of the horse." nor his pleasure in the legs of man. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. See, his delight is not in the strength of a horse. And that could be any animal or anything. But the Lord takes pleasure in what? What? Those who fear Him. Fear is not a bad thing, by the way. Fear is actually respect. So we've got to realize what fear means. We, when we fear something, we're actually showing that thing respect. That's what we're supposed to do with God. We're supposed to show him respect because here's the thing is, he can blot you out like that. That's something to be afraid of. You remember in chapter one when Naomi prayed for Orpah and Ruth that God would show his Hassad the covenant love of God to them? See, Ruth got that, and not only is God showing said to her, but she is reflecting a said back to Naomi, the one who prayed for her to have it in the first place. It's like going full circle. I love the way the Bible tells stories. When we truly accept God into our lives, we will reflect the grace of God. If you're not reflecting the grace of God, To the people in your life. And the people in your life. are everybody that you come in contact with. If you're not reflecting the grace of God. To everybody that you come in contact with. I don't know if you've got it yet. Because if you understand. What you have been saved from you'll realize that you don't deserve any more than the next person. And you are supposed to reflect God's grace to the world. That is what it means to be a light on a hill, shining bright. Elizabeth Elliot was a missionary to the people of uh, Uconda. But her husband... He, he The reason she did that is because her husband, Jim Elliot, went to a small island uh, that these people would never been in contact with human beings. And do, due to a, a misunderstanding really, it wasn't even a, a, I don't think they meant to do, they, they thought they were doing something right and not whatever. But they got killed. All of Jim Elliott and his, the people that went to reach them people got killed. But the beautiful thing about, about uh, Elizabeth Elliot is she didn't give up on the people. Actually, the person that killed her husband became a Christian. Because of her. She showed true grace and mercy to the people, and really went in there and, and showed them. She, she lived till she was 88. She, she died of uh, Alzheimer's. Uh, but during her life, she wrote books. She's got many famous quotes that she said. And one of them quotes is this, The fact that I am a woman does not make me a different kind of Christian. But the fact that I am a Christian makes me a different kind of woman. And man, you could say that too. That's what it should be. The fact that I'm a Christian, it makes you a different kind of man. It makes you a different kind of woman. If you're the same as the world, have you really got it? See, this is how the Christian life is meant to work. Peter and Paul say this is their own unique. Say this in their own unique ways. Peter says this in 1 Peter four eleven. Whoever serves, let him serve as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. See, we take refuge under the wings of God and get our strength from Him, and with that strength. We can serve others like Ruth served Naomi and Boaz served Ruth. See, God responds to this kind of faith working through love. Galatians 5, 6 says, By the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace toward me was not in vain. See, and on the contrary, uh, uh, I worked harder than any of them, through, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. First Corinthians 15 10. See, Paul worked hard just like Ruth. Paul would work up to sun up and sun down. Ruth worked from sun up to sun down, but not in their strength. See, he came under the wings of God. No different. See, Paul did not earn God's grace with hard work. God's grace made his hard work possible. See, we don't serve God because we have to. We serve God because we get to. I think that's amazing. Amazing. I'll never stop thinking that amazing. That I get to be used by God is amazing to me. Because I know me. I don't deserve it. I deserve to be a pile of ash on the ground. And I'll never stop thinking that that's what I deserve. Because by the way, when I stop thinking that, there'll be a problem. Because then I'll think I'll deserve the grace that he's given me. And I don't deserve the grace that he's given me. I don't deserve the fact that he will use me. You don't deserve the fact that he will use you. But you get to be used by him. You see, we need to reflect the God that saved us. In a commentary I was reading on the book of Ruth, I found this. To be self-sufficient is a biblical goal, but only so that others will be able to be helped. See, the New Testament has no time for scroungers. It has no time for scroungers. The New Testament talks about, in in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, it says, If anyone will not work... Neither shall they eat. If you don't work, you don't eat. See? But Paul also ordered the converted thief to work hard. Not simply to support himself, but, this is what he told him to do, that he may have something to give to him who has need. I'm not saying we shouldn't give to the needy. I'm not saying there's times where you need to help somebody that's not working. That's not what the Bible's saying either. Because there's going to be times in everybody's life that they need help. But if that's all they are, they never have a job, they just scrounge for the whole thing. The Bible has no time for that. See, there will always be a need for grace and generosity because whatever the welfare schemes are, no matter what they are, the poor, Jesus says, you, have, you will always have with you. Mark fourteen seven. See, we must not become more hard-nosed than God. Simply because our culture pushes us in that direction. See, many Christians need to take a leaf out of Boaz's book and begin to reflect the grace of Christ as a daily compassionate grace. I think we should show compassionate grace. I think there's a lot of needs out there. And just like Boaz, we should be helping them. But how did Boaz help Ruth? Did he hand her a big pile of grain and say, here you go? Nope. He made it easier for her than it would have normally been because he had his men drop some extra stuff. Hey, make sure you you drop some extra stuff for her and make sure that you give her a little bit extra at the end of the day because she's worked hard. He didn't have to do that, by the way. There's a lot of things, by the way, Boaz does in this story that he had Every right not to be a part of this situation at all. He had every right not to do all the things that he does in this book. That's what makes it so beautiful. He doesn't have to choose to do any of the things he does. He does it because he wants to show the, the, um, the, the grace that has been poured on him. Because he realizes everything he has. All that wheat that grew in that field that he owned belonged to who. Belonged to God and he realized that. John, John Wesley wrote this. Let me do all the good I can to all the people I can. By all the means I can. As often as I can. For I shall not pass this way again. That's, that's you're never, You've got one life. You're not going to pass through this life again. It's not reincarnation. So all the good you can do, you can only do here while you're here. We won't need to do that in heaven. We need to do it now. We won't get that opportunity. There's certain things that we get to do now that should excite you that you're not going to be able to do when you get to heaven. There'll be no extra needs because all our needs will be supplied when we get to heaven. So we're not going to be able to to show that sort of compassion and and do them sort of deeds after we die. We get one life. Don't waste it. Ruth continues. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she realizes that the amount of, of stuff, the grain that she brought back, there's no way she could have gleaned that by naturally just gleaning. She's like astounded of how much grain she's got. So, so somebody sh- showed favor on her. So she, she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living of the dead. And then Naomi also said to her, This is where the light bulb went off. Remember, she didn't think there was anybody there to help them. The man is a close relative of ours, One of our redeemers. See, suddenly Naomi's attitude started to change. As the practical evidence of God's grace and goodness to her was seen. See, first her heart began to soften towards God. She cried out, the Lord bless him. When was the last time, you think, except for saying that, that, that she said it to the daughter-in-laws? She hasn't said it since. She probably hadn't said it before for a long, long time. The Lord bless him. He has not stopped showing his has said to the living or the dead. That's the word that they use there. The word covenant grace, covenant love. God has not stopped showing that. Suddenly, Naomi was beginning to see that the Lord was not out to gather her. In fact, He was still able and willing to smile upon her, to show her covenant faithfulness despite her horrible history of sin and rebellion. That should make you smile and be very comforting to you. Because we have a tendency to sin and rebel against God. Yet look how he showed his love to Ruth. To, to Ruth and Naomi. See, Ruth's one day out in, in which she went out empty and came back full. All because the Lord went out ahead of her. See, that's the thing. If we're in line with what God wants us to do, by the way, he's going before us. He's going before us. He's setting the path for us. Sometimes we get angry because we don't get the job. We don't get this situation. It's not sorted out. Well, God's not ready to sort it out yet. God's not ready to give you that job yet. He, he's got something else He wants to do in and through you. Still where you're at. This has persuaded Naomi that she too, she was too quick with her bitterness. The Lord was able and willing to provide for her physical needs after all. I want you to note here that when God decided to provide for Naomi and Ruth, he met an immediate need. And God was not only just meeting her needs. The word living is pure. Encompassing both Naomi and Ruth. It's a part of the book that he has now brought Ruth into basically the covenant people of God. An outsider is now an insider. See, for the first time since leaving Moab, Ruth is included in the family of Naomi, to whom the Lord will show his faithfulness. A foreigner. Is accepted. See hope returned. See what's so interesting about this new hope. That's being returned. God is using means that he put in place. In the law. Through somebody willing to act. As a kinsman redeemer. See a kingsman redeemer. Was someone who was obligated to buy back his relatives. If they fell into debt. And had to sell themselves into slavery. Leviticus 25 verses 25 through 55 if you want to look it up. Under certain circumstances the kingsman redeemer also had an obligation to marry the widow. And raise up children for a brother who died childless. Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 10 if you want to look that up. In this way... The inheritance would continue to be associated with the name of the man who had died. So here's Naomi's hope returning. She sees that there might be a kinsman redeemer that be will be able to redeem her and redeem the family. It goes on to say, And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close, my young man, to close to my young men until there they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, "It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, and at least in another field you be assaulted. He actually, that's the different word to what actually was said by Boaz. She's put, assaulted. And it doesn't mean sexually assaulted, by the way. The word that they used in in Hebrew doesn't mean sexually assaulted. It means beaten and left basically for dead on the side of the road. I mean, it could mean that. But it it more likely means you are protected. Go to that field, you're protected. Do you know what's funny about that? The first time when Ruth said, hey, I'm going to go glean, there was no warning that she could be assaulted. She just says, oh yeah, you can go do that, see if you can get us some food. That's how desperate, you see, you've got to look at that because that's how desperate Ruth was. And now Ruth has like got hope. This is why you know there's hope in this story. Because now, Naomi's got to go, I've got to protect Ruth. You stay in that field. But also, this is where we see, I think, a little hint of repentance, See, in Naomi, as she urges Ruth to, to heed to Boaz's counsel to stay from, from now on his fields rather than going onto the fields of another, lest she be assaulted. This may seem to be an obvious response to such a generous offer, but it's not just that. See, why would anyone in her right mind not stay in Boaz's field, we ask, after all his past kindness? Who would go elsewhere? But this is precisely the point. Naomi and Elimelech had displayed exactly that kind of foolish blindness so many years before. They'd done that. They were in God's field. They were lived in the house of bread, and they laughed. See, they ignored the Lord's constant faithful provision in their past to his people and went to someone else's field. They went in the fields of Moab in search for greener grass, taller grain. See, now Naomi could see clearly how foolish this decision had been. She was thus warning Ruth not to repeat her own stupid actions Pattern of sin. Stay in the fields of the one upon whom the Lord's blessing rests. Don't go wandering off as I did. That may be what they should have wrote in there. Don't do what I did. I could just imagine Ruth when she tells Naomi. Besides, he said, "I can come back tomorrow." I think it was true, an expression of joy. Could you imagine the face of Naomi? Boaz has invited her back anyway to glean in his field until the season's over. They're going to have plenty of food until the next harvest. See, even though all Naomi's bad decisions, God still is taking care of her. He's still taking care of her. How many bad decisions do you make? Is God still taking care of you? Absolutely. If you are a child of His, He is going to take care of you. He has plans for your life. And he's going to use them plans. And you see the joy. You know, can you imagine? I would love to have been a fly on the wall in that room when this whole conversation was going on because I know it was two women, so it didn't last a couple of verses. It was a lot longer than that. There was excitement in the room. There was joy that had not been around for a long time. This this is the... Naomi is the person you wouldn't want to invite to a party at this point before this. She would have been moped faced She would have aged herself because she would have been so depressed and so wrapped up in uh, her God's mad at me kind of attitude. And then all of this happens and the joy that would have been sprung onto her face at this point would have been Amazing. Have you ever felt like that when you've seen God work in your life? It's beautiful when you actually realize that all that crap that you went through, God was using to, to, to do something great in your life. But you were, had a pity party because you thought, why is God allowing this to happen to me? And then you come at the other side of it and you go, wow, God. You're amazing. And it just makes you laugh. Because you go, how stupid was I not to trust God? He cares about me. The last verse says this. So she kept close to the young woman of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. See, this is God's glorious grace and covenant faithfulness. He made, a, he made a promise to His people. He would take care of them. See, the Apostle Paul says this in Philippians 4.19, My God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in the glory in Christ Jesus. See, sometimes it doesn't seem that way though, does it? Sometimes it, it, it may seem as if God has turned His face away from us and closed His eyes to our prayers. It may even be like he has stopped showing his faithful said after all. Yet the book of Ruth is a glorious testimony to Paul's statement. See, God will meet all our needs. Not all our wants, but he meets all our needs. In her grief and confusion, Naomi had misunderstood God and misjudged Ruth. You know, when you think about the story, because we can look at the story. Elimelech died. His sons died. What did that do? It forced Ruth to make a decision, didn't it? To go back to Bethlehem. It's no different than our lives. It's no different from our lives. One of the biggest hurts of my life is my dad leaving. Leaving. God didn't waste it. God didn't waste it. All that pain I went through as a child, from the age of of six and a half and up, not having my dad, God used that. How do you think I'm here? He allowed my dad to take a job opportunity. In America. Happened to be Rockford, Illinois. You don't think there was much pain? Do you don't think God said. This is why I say. God doesn't sometimes care about how we feel. Because he allowed me to feel like crap. He allowed me to be angry. He allowed all of that to happen to me. He allowed it. And if I don't say he allowed it then I don't believe in a God that's omniscient, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-controlling. He knows what's going on. He allowed that to happen. So, do you think God cares about my comfort? Sometimes. But sometimes He's going to allow me to be discomfort. I have discomfort in my life so that he can mold me and bring me to where I'm supposed to be. Do you really think that that when I was, when I came to America, I had different plans, okay? I wasn't going to be here still now. I was going to be in England right now. I was going to be here for, for, I was going to stay in this area for less than about six months and that was it. 33 years later, I'm still in Rockford. I'm so happy that God did all. the. You know, this is the difference. This is one of them times where I told you, when you look back at your life and you go, you was angry, you was upset, and then a light bulb goes off. I'm here. Does the pain go away? Nope. But God used that to bring me here to meet my beautiful wife, give me two stepchildren that I love, and one that we had together, and four grandchildren. He allowed all of that to happen to do that to me. I was blessed. He was actually supplying my need that I didn't even know I had. He was giving me something that he knew I needed, but to do that, sorry, Ed, I'm going to have to hurt you a little bit. Going to have to hurt you a little bit. You're like, you like. Have you ever watched somebody make something out of steel? Do you think, do you think if that if that metal could feel something, it would hurt? They heat it up. And then they hit it. And they heat it up and they hit it. And they heat it up and they hit it. That's kind of what God does to us, by the way. And he forms you into what you're going to be. But you've got to allow that to happen. You see, she had failed... To see that the Lord is the God who welcomes outsiders. She had failed to see that the Lord is the God who welcomed this outsider. She had forgotten that he is a shepherd who does not stop showing his covenant faithfulness to his wandering sheep. She didn't remember that he is the father who waits with open arms to welcome back the prodigal daughter. See, we live now in the New Testament era. So we should see the constant faithfulness and glorious grace of God in even more clearly clearly than Naomi ever could see it. Everybody owns one of these books, I hope. If you don't, let me know if you can't get one. Uh, I don't know where to get one. But if you don't, we can read about god's covenant grace and his covenant mercy see we have the scriptures we have them written down for us we have the rich history of god's long suffering and his for his with his rebellious children the whole old testament by the way is about his children who kept doing stupid stuff that's the whole whole book of the old testament it reminds me of my life. I mean, that's what it is. One minute they're following God, the next minute they're spitting on Him. See, we see that the Father stands with His arms wide open, scanning the horizon for our return. See, eager to welcome us home, but not to glean in His fields, but God is has invited us into His house. And to his table to partake in his feast. See, so the remedy for our bitter and hardened hearts. In the midst of our distress and the darkness we, we we feel. Is to ponder God's awesome grace and covenant faithfulness. See, if we fix our eyes on the glorious grace of God. And his costly answer for our deepest need. Then we will not so quickly die. Doubt that he will meet our deepest needs. See, since the Lord has shown his covenant faithfulness, will he not order all things well in our lives for his purpose? See, in sickness or in health, in poverty or riches, for better or for worse, all these conditions, we'll say that to another person, We should say them vows to God. God, in sickness and health, I'm going to be yours. In poverty or riches, I'm yours. For better or worse, I am yours. Not because of what you can give me, but for what you have given me. I don't deserve anything. I didn't deserve Jesus going to the cross. Neither did you. But he did it anyway. See, even the bitterest parts of our lives are given to us as part of our perfect plan for us and must in some way work out for our blessing and his good. What is more, these hardest providences come to us from our Redeemer's nail-scarred hands. See, the Jesus who commits himself to be with us in the middle of our trials knows all too well what it is like to suffer. As a result, Jesus is able to be our refuge in the storm, the one under whose wings we should take shelter. He is our redeemer from all kinds of difficulties. Let's follow the path that he sets before us, holding firm to the faith and knowing that his covenant faithfulness will never cease, it will never forsake us. His has said, his covenant love never ceases. His mercies never end. They are new every morning and will accomplish us every step along the hard road of life. Nobody promised you life should be was going to be easy and if they did they lied life is hard i go through because of my my job now as a hospice chaplain i, I now have three patients and and to see people go through that i've been blessed so far I've got, I've got a new patient that's not a believer. I think God's going to use me in his life because he's not. I think he's got more time than, than a lot of the other ones that I have. And I think God's going to use me in my visits to him. And uh, But when you, when you see people go through that and you know they've got God, you can see how they can do it. I don't know how you could go through something like that without him. I don't know, even if you're the patient, I don't know how you can go through it without him. But the family, I don't know how they can go on without knowing God. We need to be a bright star resonate in the glory of God to the world. See, the will of God is never exactly what you expect it to be. It may seem to be much worse but in the end, it's going to be a lot better and a lot bigger than you ever thought. God loves you. He allows things to happen to you. I mean, how many of you are parents? And you've raised some kids. I mean, if you've, you've raised your kids. And how, how many of them kids take your advice? So do you know what I do now? I just let them learn the hard way. And I'm there for them when they've they've learned the hard way and it doesn't work. Because all of us make mistakes. And God's there for us after the mistakes. He's there no matter what you do. He's there. He's there for you. He loves you. He loves you so much though that he's not going to leave you the way you are. He wants to grow you and change you you 've got to allow him to do that this week. I want you to to read over verses uh, two chapter two verses seventeen through twenty three reflect on the blessing God has poured out on you and note your response: Was it one of joy and thankfulness or was it something else? Spend some time each morning thanking God. For taking you from famine to fullness, because he has. I don't care if you've got no money in your pocket right now. God took you from famine to fullness because you're full in Him. And then, for, get ready for next week. This is where the story gets pretty seedy. And if it was a movie, they'd make it X-rated even though it wasn't. But uh, this is where it gets a little risky and uh, the situation could have went way out of hand. And uh, so read Ruth 3, 1 through 18. Join us for next week, part five of Fields of Grace. A risk-taking righteousness. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for being an awesome God. I thank you for uh, just working in our lives on a day-to-day basis, forgiving us our debts against you and just uh, being there for us in the hard times. Allow us to trust you more. Allow us to fully, fully put our trust in you. Knowing that you will supply all of our needs. will be there through the pain that we go through. Through the heartaches we go through. You are with us. We just have to look. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.